0: His Catholic identity builds upon Thomas Aquinas and the magisterium of the Catholic Church and engaging with God in the wilderness. Find out more at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us today Josh Hammer. He is the opinion editor of Newsweek. He's a columnist, a research fellow with the Edmund Burke Foundation. Uh, he does policy counseling for the Internet Accountability Project. As well, he uh, writes frequently in leading outlets, including the L.A. Times, the New York Post, National Affairs, City Journal, National Review, our own first things. He's joining us today to talk about the the atmosphere, the climate, the landscape of magazine publishing, especially in the opinion editorial side of things. And he's going to explain everything we need to know. Thank you for doing that, Josh. Oh, it's my pleasure, Mark. Thanks so much for having me on today. Uh, how did you come to
1: Newsweek? So, you know, a lot of people, they kind of you know, they survey the landscape and uh, every so often, I think, you know, uh, among the, quote unquote, very online cra- crowd, we'll see kind of a, a right of center uh, to a, kind of a more hard charging conservative op-ed pop up in Newsweek. And a lot of people probably these days are saying, you know, what, what the heck is going on? But if you go to the Newsweek Twitter account, um, you know, the tagline there in the little bio section, it says freedom to disagree. And you Newsweek, we we actually have a brand new mission statement at the bottom of the webpage, and it very clearly says that we are dedicated to promoting views across the entire political spectrum. Uh, The company, under under new ownership that took over in 2017, was really kind of finally just starting to really get going in earnest over the past few years, is institutionally committed to opposing cancel culture, to kind of airing all sides. It's kind of a rare beacon in the proverbial mainstream media, well, not really just proverbial, but literal mainstream media. I mean, what is, you know, uh, Newsweek, of not mainstream media, of, of of actually hearing all sides. And, um, you know, I personally am, a, you know, I'm a hard-charging conservative. I formerly worked for Ben Shapiro at The Daily Wire. I, I'm a lawyer by training, clerked on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit for uh, Judge Ho, who is um, a, you know, very, very strong conservative judge. I was Active back in 2016 on the Ted Cruz presidential campaign, so I, I, I don't hide my cards at all. Obviously,
0: I've actually found that if you're a conservative, the more open you are about it, with a smile, uh, the more the more you find yourself in less tension with a liberal-oriented institution or polity. So a, a closed Group of of some kind that sort of this is what I am. I'm 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 frank uh, about that. Was that is that
1: your experience? So I think that definitely is. I mean, you know, it's funny. I um I started a Newsweek. I guess it was um, about a month and a half into the lockdowns. So it was May first of last year, and. You know, there have been a few incidents since I started where, you know, various groups have uh, done, you know, know, hit pieces or nasty tweets. And, you know, like, why is a crazy right winger running the music opinion uh, section? All that to say, I've gotten any number of people who have tried to cancel me. But to your question, Mark, I have absolutely found over the years that you are less cancelable in today's day and age if you are forthright honest. And true to who you are. You know, if, if you kind of look around and see the people who are, you know, quote unquote, I really kind of hate this term, but it's kind of just become so ubiquitous, it's hard to avoid. But if you look at the people who kind of the woke mobs are coming to quote unquote cancel, there are generally people who are not so open, who kind of try to keep their views to themselves. And, and then, you know, whether it's kind of like a tweet that they like or a statement that they kind of say the quote unquote wrong thing, It's then and only then that the mob comes frothing at the mouth, seeking to get your proverbial head on a pike. So I think that if you are kind of out there, I mean, at this point, kind of our brand in Newsweek is, you know, I'm the conservative editor. Um, I have three deputies who work for me, uh, one of whom is a left of center editor, Badia Angar Sargon, and we co-host kind of a debate-themed podcast. So at, at this point, that's kind of my brand. Um, and I, I, I feel like I personally am in a good place as as far as cancelability at this point. So, yeah, I would only encourage other people to, uh, you know, frankly, just kind of be who you are. I, I, I do find that not just for kind of intellectually honest reasons, but frankly, just for professional development reasons, it's it's a lot better than just trying to than trying to hide the ball.
0: When when the cancel culture mobs go after someone for for a tweet or something, they almost presume that they are exposing something. It has been hidden. We 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 are showing people who don't realize the bad things that this person is doing. And if you are again, Frank, open, you say what you think. That it takes away that investigative presumption of the cancel mob. It takes away that argument. Is, is, do you think there's something there? Right.
1: No. Yeah. No. I, I think that I think that's absolutely right. I mean. You know, I mean, you kind of, when my violin at the beginning, I mean, I publish in, you know, any number of right-of-center publications, and, you know, I mean, I I, I am very much out there. Um, I mean, I, I you know, pri- I mean, prior to my joining Newsweek, and, and this just speaks so well, frankly, of Newsweek's management, that they would take on someone with this kind of internet track record, as long as you kind of Google my name. I mean, you know, I joined last May 1st, 2020. It was like January... 30th, thirty first, February first, right around that. So only a few months prior to that, you know, the court that I that I had that I had clerked on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit had a case um, that I'm sure first things covered at the time. Um, I can't remember specifically, but I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm sure you did about transgender pronouns, and it was an it was an outstanding opinion from um, Judge Kyle Duncan of the Fifth Circuit. Um, basically explaining why he would um, use biologically correct pronouns um, in, in the case that was presented before him. It was really quite courageous um, and admirable. And I wrote a piece um, at the time. It was for National Review. I think it was basically just praising Judge Duncan's opinion um, for its candor, for its um, you know its loyalty to both biological truth, to linguistic integrity, you know all the things that people on the right hold dear. And um, it was only a few months later that I started a Newsweek, um, and you know, I, I, as you can imagine, given the the, uh, the sensitivities, I guess we would say around that issue, that was probably the the one column that I wrote that I think elicited the most pushback um, among some people at the company after my hiring was announced at an internal level, um, probably external as well. Not that I kind of go that far down the Twitter sphere rabbit hole, but I'm sure external as well. Um, But it it just speaks really well, frankly, that management had that integrity. But look, yeah, no, I mean, I I am not hiding at all who I am. And um, I do think that it kind of um, inoculates me for sure
0: against the the cancel folks.
1: Um, I I absolutely agree with your sentiment on that.
0: Do do you find, maybe this is the real question for the business side of Newsweek, uh, do you find that this, uh, you know, bipartisan or, or just sort of more or less impartial, approach is attracting readers
1: oh absolutely so we think that we've really kind of touched on something here so when i first started we started doing these um these written debates of the week where it was kind of like um it's kind of a traditional point-counterpoint kind of columns actually um you know we had rusty reno do it um do a uh, a written form debate for us last december so kind of uh you know in the Uh, intermediary period between the election and January 6th where he was uh, debating Charlie Cook of National Review about kind of the future of uh, the Republican Party and and the conservative movement. So for a long time, I was was kind of organizing these weekly written debates and just and just and those pieces consistently kind of a traffic level um, were doing quite well. Um, I I would say on average better than kind of our standalone op-ed on, you know, all things equal. And then in um. In April, we soft launched this, uh, this new podcast themes around the debate, we're going to have like a formal uh, PR rollout here in the next few weeks. And, you know, hopefully, it's going to get even bigger. But as of now, um, you know, the podcast is averaging probably, you know, 10 to 20,000 downloads an episode, I think it's, it's, it's range like 140 or something like that, as far as like US politics podcast, um, you're getting not- up to 20,000. We've hit twenty thousand at least once
0: so far. You, you you know, I think that those podcasts that break all podcasts that break ten thousand are only about the top two or three percent of all podcasts.
1: Well, there you go. I mean, it kind of, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's amazing. And um, we haven't actually sunk any advertising money into it from a business perspective yet, which is even cooler. It's frankly kind of just all been kind of internal promotion and, and and things of that nature. So. So I, I, I do think that we've tapped into something. And what we've tapped into is that no one's kind of having conversations. And you know, the podcast that we're having, um, these are like pretty charged topics. I mean, we've had multiple on critical race theory. Um, we did an Israel-Palestinian podcast during the height of the most recent Hamas-Israel conflict in May. Um, we, we did a debate on cancel culture itself um uh, we did reparations for slavery for goodness sake i mean like we're we're not we're not avoiding the the hard charging stuff
0: no i think i i salute you I, I i was reading through a lot of your your sort of pro and con formats on very delicate issues yes and i think that you're you're doing a genuine social service you're bringing ideas of pluralism <laughs> diversity marketplace of ideas and letting it be hashed out. We've got to show people, especially young people, that this is the way that it's done. You you open things up. This is this is free speech. This is what the free speech movement back at Berkeley in 19 mid 60s was all about. So, uh I think that there's there's got to be a hunger out there for the the genuine the genuine debate. The real clash. And we're not we're not going to we're not going to say, "Oh, we're all going to be nice and civil with one." No, they could. It can get sharp, right? You don't mind that at all? No, we don't. I mean, look. I mean,
1: you know, Badia, my podcast co-host, and I, we try to keep it. You know, I mean, we try to keep it res- respectful. Obviously, we haven't yet. We haven't yet had guests who have like really gone after each other's throat. I mean, there have been some, you know, pointed comments, but I mean, you know, I mean, even kind of the Israel-Palestinian debate, which you know, is bad as kind of, you know, we had a. um you know my friend David Bragg, who's a you know Jewish conservative, go against uh, Omar Badaré, left of center, um, Palestinian Arab, and like you know this that's that's about as emotionally charged as, as topics come. But even that one was highly informative, highly civil, um, and we kind of just like we're very candid and upfront about that to the to, to the guests we have on. We say like, look, like this has to be civil. Um, And uh, I I try to have that ethos kind of trickle down to the opinion page in general, as far as the the written product is concerned. Um, Just a week ago or two, actually, I was dealing with an op-ed. The Supreme Court refused uh, to hear the uh, the Grimm versus Gloucester County case out of Virginia with respect to uh, transgender bathrooms. And um, someone who was uh, writing an op-ed for me on this topic, it was an op-ed, by the way, that I did not agree with. Um, it was a overall kind of left of center take on an issue that I am anything but left of center on. But even, you know, for the purpose of intellectual honesty, I, I was still kind of interested in pursuing publishing it. But the person who sent it in um, had kind of a superfluous kind of jab where You know, he referred to um, folks who 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 disagreed with him on, you know, quote unquote, transgender rights as, you know, being bigoted or ignorant, whatever. And I basically said, like, look, I'm happy to kind of pursue something that I personally profoundly disagree with for purposes of, like, fulfilling my music mission statements. But I'm not going to put in published form here something that is denigrating, you know, half the country or frankly, on this issue, probably more than half the country. Um, I just kind of you know re- retrograde backwards uh, you know uh, troglodytes. Um, so I I kind of try to have that ethos of civility uh, imbue the broader opinion section project in general, both podcast and written form. I would say.
0: Right, right, yeah. Well, when when I said you know civility, I I worry that civility is often used to blunt. A strong clash of ideas. We don't want a clash yeah. of personalities. I mean, uh, you know, we, yeah. we we get enough of that on the on the internet, right? Uh, but we want we want strong people to say, "No, you are wrong about this, and here is why you're wrong." Bump, a dump a dump a up But you know, uh, yeah the the idea of uh, simply tarnishing your opponents that's so lazy. You know, I mean, it's it's just. It's just so easy to do. It's it's an escape from 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 reason.
1: Yeah, it, it's a it, it's a dodge. And, and and just to make sure, you know, I put all my all my cards on the table here, Mark. Um, I, I could not agree with you. In fact, one of my favorite op-eds I've probably ever published in Newsweek was a beautiful, powerful op-ed by um, someone who I think is a friend of first things, uh, Rabbi Ari Lamb of of Yeshiva University and, and the Joshua Project. A fabulously erudite well spoken well read rabbi and a really strong conservative and I'm trying to remember when we published this op ed i mean it must be like last december or january i think i think it might have been january and and he basically he was an op ed against civility um, and um he, and and he and he was kind of um he was citing kind of the uh, proverbial kind of uh Talmuda call in yeshiva where you know i mean i've I've been inside uh, yeshivas. I've seen how it goes. I mean, it's any it's anything but civil. I mean, you'll have very kind of well-read rabbinical students and rabbis who are really going at it on kind of like very pressing legal, moral, ethical issues. Um, and, um, you know, similarly, you know, I mean, um, Sora Bamari of the York Post is a very good friend of mine. Um, and, you know, when he, you know, wrote his um, famous or infamous, depending on your perspective, you know, against David Frenchism, uh, essay at at first things, I mean, you know, I, I was gleefully smiling the, the whole way down. <laughs> um, so I mean, it, yeah. certainly in so far as quote unquote civility kind of um, takes the tangible form of um you know a true kind of pluralistic, valueless uh, liberalism. um you know I, I I personally am profoundly skeptical of that. but as you also said, I mean, um you can't just. You can't just
0: be a jerk for the sake of being a jerk either of <laughs> right now but 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 josh now, now there's one area you know the pro and con you had one contributor argue I was, I was going back through that we lower the voting age from the current age 18. now josh i demand space in the magazine to write that we should raise the voting age to age 31. can i do that <laughs> well uh Personally, I'm deeply
1: sympathetic to this argument. <laughs> um, I, you know, I mean, look, I, I obviously never make you know editorial decisions before seeing the full draft and, and all the like proverbial kind of you know things that, that I have to say. But I would, I, I would love to see that argument because that's actually exactly the kind of countercultural, kind of um, slightly provocative argument that I would be all ears to see. Um, and that's you know um, a, a piece of that nature.
0: The, the, the op-ed that was, that was a fun op-ed to read. It, it, it I, I enjoyed it. Um, it it was by a it was by a graduate student in sociology I think, from Stanford um, so uh, but look, the idea is out there. It's being proposed by, by different groups to lower the voting age to sixteen so let's let's hear let's hear the arguments and uh, uh you know i mean this is this is one of the things that you want to do with well maybe I should ask you. What do you want the op-ed page to do? What What are your goals for Newsweek's op-ed page as, as the editor of it? Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's a fabulous question. So, look,
1: I mean, I view us as, as having a fairly unique perch right now within kind of the, the broader landscape of the mainstream media. Um, I mean, there are very, very few, if any, um, mainstream media op-ed pages that these days have a similar mission statement as us, that I will actually kind of air all sides. And, you know, I mean, I, I wrote kind of a pro Bill Barr op-ed for the Los Angeles Times a year and a half ago. But, you know, it's not, it's not like the LA Times is, is publishing anything like remotely close um, to to an even split of viewpoints. I mean, you know, obviously the New York Times, I mean, is a obviously a total cesspool of kind of monolithic left-wing orthodoxy, um, you know, even kind of our, our, you know, our our, our very few remaining kind of of right-of-center op-ed page bastions, you know, a place like the Wall Street Journal and the New York Post um, are not publishing a whole lot of of left-of-center commentary. The the Journal every so often does, I guess. But um, we're really one of the only places that is, like, truly airing all sides. I mean, I have three deputies, uh, so there's four of us. Um, Two of us are right-of-center, the other two are left-of-center, um, I run a fairly decentralized opinion page where most of my editors get I mean, a, a very wide degree of discretion to kind of um, pursue and publish their own content. And as of now, that's, that's, that's kind of our beacon. That's our mission statement. That's our, that's our institutional goal. Um, it's to kind of um, be a website where folks who are so distraught at living in silos and like looking at a neighbor and seeing his or her yard signs and immediately assuming that they can't have a civil dialogue with that person. We want to be that place where you can kind of go online and written our podcast format and actually listen, or eventually ideally, you know, directly partake in those conversations. So that's really what we're doing. Um, And, you know, kind of just on a a very personal level, again, as kind of a, you know, the strong conservative, you know, I, you know, used to work like I said for Ben Shapiro, who who is kind of railing almost every day it seems about kind of um, you know media bias, which of course is very real. Um, you know, it's wonderful that I'm you know able to kind of platform the right of center conservative views with a mainstream imprimatur that you know most, but, you know, basically every other publication would never in a million years look at. Um, you know, people like Amy Wax, like Heather McDonald. Um, Folks who are just not afraid to talk about the hard-charging issues. Um, So, you know, personally, as a conservative, that's that's definitely one of uh, the value-adds that I see for sure.
0: Let's pause for a moment for what I believe is one of the best schools of higher learning in the country, the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving, Texas, and Rome, Italy, UD offers a rigorous and exciting core curriculum that sets it apart, an education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition, an education that ennobles and enables students in their pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Fidelity to man requires fidelity to the truth, which alone is the guarantee of freedom and of the possibility of integral human development. Those are the words of Pope Benedict, quoted at the University of Dallas, and guiding educators in all the departments of the university, undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs are available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. I, I, I think at this point Ben Shapiro should not bother criticizing the, the media landscape. We're not learning anything new about that, but let's advance the positive. You know, He, he should talk about Newsweek and other examples, and I'm going to read to you Newsweek's mission statement on the site. Quote, Newsweek speaks to and listens to readers across the political and cultural spectrum. We explain, expound, and clarify the most important issues of our time with journalism that's fair, factual, authoritative, and accessible. We believe vigorous, respectful, and honest debate is in the public interest and welcome diverse views and voices. Did you help compose that? Not at a super, super
1: high level, but I did review... um, subsequent drafts of it and offered my feedback at various stages, if that makes sense. Um, but, um, that's, that's brand new. I mean, that's out like a week or two ago. So, um, this whole thing is is kind of a work in progress, right? I mean, the, the podcast is launched in April. Um, this mission statement is brand new. I mean, I started, you know, barely over a year ago. So we're kind of watching a, a big experiment, um, play out in, in real time. It's, 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 it's pretty exciting. I mean, it, it, it's, 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 it's a very, very, very cool for lack of a better word, professional opportunity. I'm, I'm just, I'm really grateful that it's, that's worked out like this, but um, you know, I, 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 I'm sure a lot of listeners of this podcast will kind of hear that mission statement that you just read Mark and will kind of just say like, wow, like I never in a million years would have, you know, thought that, you know, like a very kind of universally known mainstream media brand in the year 2021 will be saying these kind of things. But, um, here we are. We're we're. It's a real time experiment. We're trying to see if it's going to work. And as of now, you know, as we kind of discussed earlier with the podcast
0: downloads, it seems to be working. Uh, you mentioned readers there. Uh, Josh, don't readers of outlets that have become so uniformly, predictably, uh, ideological, don't they worry that they're losing uh, a portion of their readership? Yeah, I mean it depends on the publication right um but
1: um i i mean sh- i mean sh- i mean surely that does have to be the case for a lot of these places i mean i think about the new republic actually the, I, I think about the new republic more than it probably merits thinking about um
0: it was, it was a I great mean, magazine day, i i through the 90s i read the new republic all the time
1: yeah and i think a lot of people did right um you know i mean uh i mean even i mean, look, I I, I I graduated college ten years ago in twenty eleven, But like even like when I was in college, I mean, I, I I would kind of peruse sometimes in the New Republic. But at some point over the past ten years at, at the most, maybe even like a little less than that, um, it has really kind of notably shifted um from kind of like an old school kind of uh, you know, Berkeley free speech movement, esque liberalism. To you know, flirting much more closely with you know modern progressivism, wokeism, you know what Wesley Yang calls the successor ideology, whatever you want to call it, and I I I I I haven't looked at like their subscriber numbers or their readership, but I, I have to imagine that something like that would cause a lot of readers to just stop subscribing, right? Um, I mean, like if, if you're if you are a venerable decades old magazine newspaper. Um, and you know, there are, are many of them in American journalism, um, you know, first things obviously is of course, one of them uh, as, as well. You, you really, you deviate from kind of your core readership from the readership that you've kind of nurtured and developed over the decades, really at your own peril. Um, and, and, and then the Republic, I don't, I don't want to pick on them too much. I mean, there's any number of examples for this, right? Uh, the nation would probably be another example. Um, but um, yeah, I, I used to, like you, it sounds like, Peru's the New Republic every so often. So that one in particular just kind of grinds my gears a bit. But um, surely a lot of these publications, um, I, I'm sure if you kind of look into the granular data, are, are probably hurting from a readership standpoint.
0: Uh, where do you look for contributors? I mean, have you have you reached out to people to, to bring them in or are you just receiving things? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um,
1: I, I, it's a pretty healthy mix. I mean, we have a number of kind of regular columnists that that get um, either a monthly fee or, you know, it's kind of a regular, like, here's the maximum times that you, that you can um, send you material a month and we'll pay you, you know, X dollars per, per op-ed, that kind of thing. So, so we, we 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 do have a number of kind of fixed agreements. But... Other than that, um, it, it it really is a very strong mix of kind of um, unsolicited stuff that comes in, and then we're we're always doing our own solicitation. So, you know, I mean, I encourage um, my other editors to, and you know, this is very much also what I do. Um, you know, I, I Twitter for better or for worse. I mean, uh, it kind of makes you want to pull your hair out, um, but it is kind of a place to find what is the discourse, what are like the topics of the day, who is offering kind of a fresh innovative take. Um, so we, we, we do a decent amount of that. We, you know, we see who's kind of opining on you know some topic that's really kind of exciting on Twitter, regardless of the perspective it's coming from, then kind of reach out like that. Um, or we kind of just, you know, brainstorm. Um, so, um, you know, I mean, just to give one example, um, you know, it was, uh, after the latest kind of Ilan Omar controversy, and she seems to have a new one, you know, every week, not every day, um, where she accused, you know, her uh, Jewish Democratic colleagues of, uh, I don't remember the exact quote, but like failing to pursue or justice or not standing up for justice or something like that. Um, I, I have like one or two kind of unsolicited. Op eds, um, and you know, I I try to be somewhat prudent about running anti Illinois Mar stuff. I mean, there's enough content there to fill like you know, like a, like an entire section, honestly. But um, I, after a couple after a couple of these came in, I, I you know, I thought like you know, I mean, who's the best person to uh, write on this with kind of. Nonpartisan, um, authoritative cloud, and you know that that someone could be like David Harris, right, the president of American Jewish Committee. So, sure enough, you know, sent an email to AJC, and you know David Harris wrote a very, very, very fine piece for us on that. So that's just like one example as to, as to kind of how I go about thinking.
0: And and so maybe maybe uh, last question, Josh, as we, we we're running out of time here. What distinguishes a good controversial piece? from a bad controversial piece? I mean, apart from you know, just, just intelligence, are there some times when you think this, this is seeking out controversy in the wrong way?
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that, that's a, that's a fabulous question.
0: It's, gonna be, it's, a, it's a difficult
1: one to answer because I think a lot of it is just gonna kind of depend on the specific issue that it's addressing um, and, and, and on context. So, I mean, anytime that you can approach kind of a hot topic in, in, in a fresh way, in, in a way that has not been written that often. I mean, ideally, of course, often at all, but that's you know these days very difficult. But if if you, if you can approach a difficult topic through through like a new lens, so for example, I mentioned kind of reparations earlier. If if you if you can kind of come out and um, you know uh, uh, analogize the reparations debate to kind of a a, a theory of kind of uh, the common law. Of Contracts, or, or um, if, if you can come up with some theory that has not been applied to that particular issue yet, that's definitely going to grab me. Um, you know, of course, I mean, um, I'm always a sucker just for quality writing. Of course, um, you know, I I, I I I just enjoy you know uh, flowing sentences and kind of mixing up a syntactical style with long sentences and short sentences. No one no one no one likes to read kind of a, a super kind of short, um, uh, or, uh, or not short, but no, no one wants to read just like, frankly, just boring writer who's not mixing up sentence style or um, using boring words or things of that nature. So it, it, it really just does depend. But um, obviously, you know, personal experience is one thing that you can't discount here either. I mean, if you have, if your life story, if your biography is such that you truly do bring a unique perspective. Um, so, you know, for example, again, to use the, the reparations example, you know, Let's say if you're, um, you know, if you are uh, a second, third generation like Nigerian American and, you know, your ancestors came here from Nigeria in the 20th century, well after the end of chattel slavery in America. And let's say you kind of have like a take that reparations are unjust. uh, Why should I benefit? That's a really interesting perspective, right? Um, So that's the kind of thing that
0: I would definitely look to publish as well. Josh Hammer, uh, opinion eight page editor at Newsweek magazine. Thank you for joining us.